one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. October 30th, 2023, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is ready for what should be a fun Halloween week. I'll tell you this. I love Halloween, eating the candy, getting dressed up. Fun holiday, fun week, fun time of year on the football calendar. And if you don't think we got a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres pod, you don't know your boy Torres very well. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to lead, obviously, a lot of college football, right? We'll talk about the big upset with Oklahoma. What does it mean for them? What does it mean for Kansas? What does it mean for the playoff picture? Remember, that first playoff ranking is coming out on Tuesday, So what does Oklahoma's loss mean there? From there, we'll take a quick break. Do want to go out to the Rose Bowl. Colorado loses again. A lot of you asking me, Torres, are you finally done talking about Colorado? Is this like, is this narrative over? I think a lot of people are missing a couple things about the Colorado narrative that we will discuss. And then from there, we'll just hit on the rest of what was a kind of a quirky day in college football. Uh, Georgia beats Florida. And then how about this? Kirby Smart went after Dan Mullen, the former head coach. If you missed that, we'll discuss that. Uh, USC survives. Clemson loses again. Oregon looks really good against Utah. And I'd be remiss if I did not hit on Tennessee beating Kentucky yet again. Tennessee, man, uh, what Josh Heupel's doing is unbelievable. So we got a jam-packed show. We got a lot to discuss and we got no more time to waste. So with that said, let's jump right in and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, I'll say this, is that when I look at the college football landscape, I do kind of think that for the most part, this is what I I like to call almost upset Saturday from the perspective that, and we have a couple of these every single fall, you get two, three, four really good teams that are on the ropes and it looks like one of those days that might turn out to be really crazy. And then instead, most things go as planned, right? Washington easily could have lost at home to Stanford or lost on the road to Stanford. They survived by the skin of their teeth. They're still undefeated atop the Pac-12 standings. Ohio State, not always pretty again, but goes on the road, beats Wisconsin at Wisconsin. And then, of course, Penn State did not look good at all. They were on the ropes against Indiana and take care of Indiana. So for the most part, everything wasn't always pretty, but it went to plan. That is except for one place in college football, and that was Lawrence, Kansas, where Oklahoma traveled to uh, uh, to Kansas as a 10-point favorite. And it's interesting. You go back to Friday's show. What did I say on Friday's show? I said weird stuff always happens for some reason with Oklahoma and Texas this time of year in the state of Kansas. It's cold. It's late in the year. They're usually heavy, heavily favored. But you go back to Charlie Strong losing at Kansas. You go back to, if you remember, Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts losing at Kansas State in November. A few years ago, by the way, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley almost lost with Oklahoma at Kansas. Well, on Saturday, the Jayhawks got the best of the Sooners, winning 38-33 to as Kansas pulls off the upset. And how about that? The goalposts come down. They go into the lake. By the way, this was, how about this? First win for Kansas over Oklahoma since 1997. First top 10 win at home for Kansas since 1984. I'll be blunt. I'm getting old. There's not many things that are happening in sports for the first time since before I was born. Yet here we are as Kansas pulls off the upset. Absolutely incredible. And when I think about this game, a couple things. First of all, let me just take two seconds and give credit to Kansas because I think sometimes sometimes a, a good team loses and the inclination is we always have to give credit to the team that won. It's like, no, sometimes weird stuff happens. Sometimes, you know, there's a million turnovers or somebody gets hurt or there's a weird weather thing. Kansas was just largely the better team on Saturday. And I think we need to take a moment to appreciate them. Remember, Lance Leipold, their head coach, is in his third year as head coach at Kansas, and I would argue has done as good of a rebuilding job as we have seen in college football. Remember, 
This wasn't only the worst program in the Power Five. He took over in late spring after Les Miles. Yes, Les Miles got fired. And it was not as though he had time to kind of get it all together. This was, he took over in May of 2021. That is after National Signing Day. That was in an era where a lot of the best players on that team entered the transfer portal. And it was a time even after spring ball. So, I mean, you talk about, he didn't even get spring practice. In year one, he goes two and 10. Last year, six and seven gets to that Liberty Bowl against Arkansas. And now Kansas is sitting at six and two after this victory. What's most impressive, though, is kind of what I just said a moment ago. In my opinion, watching that game, there was nothing really fluky about it. Again, yeah, there was a weather delay. And weather played a factor maybe to a degree. But but just go ahead and watch that game. Same number of turnovers for Kansas. E- each team had three turnovers. So it wasn't as though it was like a Oklahoma turned the ball over six times and Kansas didn't at all. Kansas actually outgained Oklahoma. Oklahoma, which is much improved on defense this year, gave up over five yards per carry to the Kansas Jayhawks and 225 yards on the ground overall. By the way, you can't sit here and tell me that Kansas had every advantage. They were playing a backup quarterback in this game. Their starter, Jalen Daniels, was out with injury again. So Kansas was the rightful winner. Kansas deserves to win. And now I think the big question that I see everybody talking about, and I think it's the right question, is what the heck happens to Oklahoma from now? What does it mean for their regular season, for their postseason aspirations, for their playoff aspirations, et cetera? And what I'll tell you, it's pretty straightforward. Not all that much change for Oklahoma. And it was funny because, you know, I, I saw a lot of reaction of, well, you know, I mean, well, I mean, no, I mean their, their playoff dreams are done. And I, I sat there and said, like, well, wait a second now. Did, did, did we go back to the BCS era and I missed something? Are we back in the era where one loss costs you your entire season? Because I don't really see it that way at all. For Oklahoma, everything is still ahead of them. They're sitting at seven and one right now. They're tied atop the Big 12 standings. And I'll admit, I think what some people would argue, the playoff path is tougher because other there are other teams in other leagues. But listen, Georgia still got the toughest games on their schedule ahead. Michigan still has their toughest games on the schedule ahead. Ohio State still has to play at Michigan. You know, Penn State has to play Michigan. Whatever. You go on and on down the list. It's not as though other teams don't have other big games. So for Oklahoma, the only thing that changed, in my opinion, the margin for error changed quite a bit, right? Because going into Saturday, you had that kind of one loss buffer where you're undefeated atop the big 12 standings. If you lose a game, you can take it on the chin and kind of bounce back and everything's still ahead of you. Now that buffer's gone. Now you got to win out. Now there's no excuses. Now it gets much tougher going into Bedlam next week against Oklahoma state, but everything is still on the table. If Oklahoma wins out, Oklahoma is going to the college football playoff. At that point, they'd be 12 and one big 12 champs. They're not getting left out with a head to head win over Texas, which obviously looks good. um, And potentially a second win over Texas as well. The only thing I will say, and I do think this part is important. We do have to acknowledge the big 12 is a lot tougher than we thought it was probably three, four weeks ago. Right? Because when Texas and Oklahoma won uh, when they played in, in in the Red River game, it was unbelievable. Great victory for Oklahoma. Rally, Dylan Gabriel, touchdown pass late in the game. I bring it all up because at that point, a lot of people, myself included, said, well, those two teams are going undefeated from here on out, and we're both, they're going to meet in it for, for the Big 12 championship. And it doesn't quite look that way anymore. First off, the Big 12 is a lot more competitive than I think a lot of people realize. You understand right now there are five teams tied atop the standings with one loss apiece. Those five teams, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Iowa State. So there is is competition at the top. From Oklahoma's perspective, things get a lot tougher. They have to go to Oklahoma State next week. All of a sudden, you know, you looked at it in the preseason. Oklahoma State lost everybody through the transfer portal. Yet all of a sudden, here we are, Mike Gundy. I know Oklahoma fans don't want to give him credit, but that guy's a beast, man. You know, Mike Gundy, they lost every, They lost like 30 scholarship players to the portal. Spencer Sanders, Mason Cobb, who's now at USC. And they're rolling, sitting at 6-2 and two right now, 4-1 and one in the Big, Te- Big 12 with four straight wins. Beat Kansas State, beat the same Kansas team that you lost to. 
And then from there, I think the schedule is a little bit more manageable for, for Oklahoma. Already beat Iowa State, already beat Texas. You do have a late, November, you know, mid-November trip to BYU, which I think is an interesting game. In Provo, could be really cold. But again, everything is still there for Oklahoma, and that's kind of my big takeaway. Is like, I don't think anything changed for Oklahoma other than the margin. You got to win out. There are no more excuses. You're a team that 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 wanted to win the Big 12, wanted to keep compete for a playoff spot. It is still there. You just got to take care of business. Really quickly, I do think this loss falls at a very interesting time on the schedule because on Tuesday, we get our first set of college football playoff rankings, okay? And I think everybody kind of knows, but for people who are forget the process from last year, Remember, going forward, every Tuesday, that college football playoff committee, the team, the, the, the group that picks the four teams that make the college football playoff, they are meeting and they are going to, every Tuesday, put out their top four in college football. So the Oklahoma loss shakes things up. I don't think they're going to be anywhere near the top four. I don't think anyone from the Big 12 will be, honestly. Um, I, I And as a matter of fact, as we get ready for that top four release, I tend to think that that it's kind of obvious who the top five are, and then it's just in what order. From the top five perspective, I, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the top five is going to be in some way, shape, or form Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington. What will be interesting is what is the order in which those five teams are picked And I think the committee maybe even at this point has a tougher job than they've had in the past. Now, again, it'll all get settled. It'll all get figured out, but it's worth noting. Like there is a gap between the teams that look really good, but maybe don't have a great resume and the teams that maybe have a great resume, but don't look good. What do I mean by that? Well, like what does the playoff committee do with Georgia? Georgia right now is number one in the human polls. If you still want to call them that. They're sitting at 8-0 and after this point in the season. They're very deserving of that number one ranking. But you look at their wins, they have one win over a team that was ranked when they played them. That was the Kentucky Wildcats, who have now lost three straight uh, after Saturday afternoon, after Saturday night against Tennessee. So what do you do with Georgia? Number one in the human polls, have one win over a ranked team, no wins over teams currently ranked. What do you do with them? Michigan, it's the same thing. Michigan's looked better than everybody. But outside of the off-the-field scandal, They haven't played a single team worth anything except maybe Rutgers. Everybody else isn't very good. Now, Nebraska, I should say, is rapidly improving. They're five and three right now. But Michigan hasn't played the best of their competition yet. Florida State, that win over LSU looks better every single week. But Clemson, that loss looks worse every single week that Florida State has. The Duke loss looks a little bit worse. The Duke win looks a little bit worse. So great win over LSU early. And by the way, if I said Florida State lost to those teams, you know, my brain's my brain's mush. But Florida State obviously beat LSU, beat Clemson, beat Duke. The LSU win looks a lot better. The LSU or the Clemson win looks a lot worse. The Duke win looks a little bit worse after Saturday when Duke lost to Louisville. Kind of the same, by the way, kind of the opposite, I should say, with Ohio State. Ohio State has a great resume. Win at Notre Dame win at Wisconsin on Saturday, and certainly the big one, Penn State win at home, but they haven't looked very good. So it'll be interesting to just see what the committee does. This kind of started with Oklahoma, me talking about Oklahoma losing to Kansas. My hunch is that, again, that top five is pretty set in stone. Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Ohio State, and Washington. And it'll be curious to see Again, do they rank you based on how you've played? Do they rank you based on your resume? Um, and, and and what do they do with all of these teams? If I had to guess, like I said, I think that that top five is pretty set in stone. Oregon would probably be right behind Washington for me at number five. Then probably Oklahoma at number seven behind Oregon, Texas at number eight. Penn State at number nine would be my guess, but it remains to be seen. If I had to give you my personal top four right now, I would probably go Georgia one, Michigan two, Florida State three, Ohio State four. The only thing that I could see the committee is maybe ranking Ohio State a little bit higher because of that resume. Good news is we get that answer on Tuesday. What does that first playoff committee group look like? And my hunch is it'll be interesting, and we will certainly be talking about it on Wednesday's show. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and I do want to switch gears. It was a little bit of a quieter week 
but it is worth going out to the Rose Bowl to talk UCLA, Colorado. Colorado loses again. And a lot of you are wondering, Torres, are you finally done talking Colorado? They're four and four now. And I think people are a little bit missing the boat on this story. We'll take, take a quick break, react to that. That's next. Thank you, everybody, as always, for your support of the Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. And we have a major announcement as legal sports betting is now in the state of Kentucky. That is right. The Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. DraftKings has an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod who are first-time customers with DraftKings. This is the deal. Here is what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, just $5, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code TORS. That's right. It's that simple. Again, first-time customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game, pro, college, any sport you want, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code TORS. Thank you to our new partners, DraftKings Sportsbook. Thrilled to be working with them. Take advantage of their offer now. Hi, I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and, uh, you know, listen, outside of the Oklahoma result, I don't know that there was a bunch of major, major, major things that happened that are worth the eight, nine, 10 minute Torres breakdown. So we'll wrap the show with some of the other stuff. Clemson losing again, uh, Oregon's dominant win over Utah, all of that. But at the same time, what I do want to talk about next is the game that took place at the Rose Bowl right down the street from where I live. UCLA takes on Colorado. UCLA beats Colorado 28 to 16. And after the game, I got the same question from a lot of you that I get every single time Colorado plays. And obviously, unfortunately, they haven't been playing very well as of late. And that was Torres. Are you finally done talking about Colorado? They lost again. They're four and four. The schedule on the back half is very tough. They're so overrated. Oh, my goodness. Stop talking about them. You talk about them too much. To which I would say, I don't think I talk about them too much. But I guess my big takeaway from Saturday would be this. If you think that somehow Saturday was an indictment that this team isn't good or this team is overrated, I really don't know what to tell you other than I don't think you're really either paying close attention or you're not watching the same thing that I'm watching. Because I do think Saturday was a major step in the right direction. But more importantly, I think that Coach Prime Deion Sanders said something very interesting after the game, which portends to the present and future of the program that is at least worth discussing. Now, again, bottom line, I don't believe that Saturday was a step back. Would you have loved to beat a top 25 team on the road, in their backyard, in their stadium? Of course you would. Everybody would love to do that. But at the same time, winning in college football isn't easy. Winning on the road isn't easy. And you could see some positive things coming out of this game. One, offense out of the bye, especially early. It looked better. It wasn't good enough, certainly, especially late, and we will get to that. But out of the bye, first drive, I would argue, is the best drive they've had since week two, week three against Nebraska and Colorado. Move the ball in sync, in rhythm. Unfortunately, you got to settle for a field goal. Then the second drive, you got to settle for a field goal. And then, oh, by the way, coming out of the half, you have a couple big plays, get yourself in field goal or get yourself into the red zone and again have to settle for a field goal. So it's frustrating, but there were positives that came out from the offense. On the defensive perspective, I don't think there's any doubt there was some positives. Overall, you hold a very good UCLA team to 28 points in that game. You force four turnovers. Travis Hunter is looking like Travis Hunter again. Two interceptions, really good. Thought it was interesting after the game, Coach Prime basically said, look, he came back from injury for Stanford. We focused on getting him right at wide receiver, and he probably didn't spend enough time uh, focusing on cornerback. Stayed back during the bye, watched film, watched film intently, and I thought he had his best game. I don't worry about him as a kid. He always, uh, you know, when the lights are on, he's always ready to go. He's always ready to deliver. But at the same time, I thought the defense looked much better. The offense early on coming out of the half as well looked good. And most importantly, I think this was the part that even, uh, you know, the biggest Colorado supporter was frustrated with. The penalties were much better. I mean, they actually had fewer penalties on Saturday than UCLA did on the road. 
which I think is worth noting. One of the penalties, by the way, was absolutely nonsense. That should, uh, that, that, excuse me, that Shiloh Sanders uh, targeting penalty. That was not targeting. Joe Klatt said it was not targeting. I think during the game, they said it was not targeting. Um, and so I bring it up because you look at things and things are clearly getting better. Things are clearly getting cleaned up. Things are clearly improved. But it is also worth noting you did not win. This is a game of wins and losses. You're judged by your record. And I thought Coach Prime said one very interesting thing after the game as it pertained to the offensive line. The offensive line has been an issue, I would argue, dating back probably to the Nebraska game. I mean, you know, TCU, they were awesome. Everybody was awesome. But Nebraska on, the, the offensive line has not been great. And it was another disappointing day for Colorado. Afterwards, Coach Prime was asked about it, and he gave a pretty blunt answer. Here is what he said. A reporter asked him. This is what the reporter asked him after the game. He said, reporter, in terms of the big picture, how do you keep Shador upright and healthy? Shador Sanders, obviously his son. Coach Prime says, the big picture, you go get new linemen. That's the big picture, and I'm going to paint it perfectly. So what is the answer to fixing the offensive line? You go get new offensive linemen. And listen, I think a lot of people that are old school college football people that don't like the new era that we're in don't love quotes like that. But listen, this is the new world and I have no problem with it. And I really think that is an interesting conversation worth developing for worth worth discussing. One, first of all, he's not wrong. And and again, I've said this a million times. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I have no problem with that with his approach, with Lincoln Riley's approach, with anybody's approach about roster building and roster management in the portal NIL era. If we have given the players the right to leave anytime they want, then it's okay for the coach to be critical publicly. And I also think at the same time, I've said a million times, in this NIL era, if kids want to be paid like professionals, that's fine. They deserve it. They deserve a cut of the pie. They're working hard too. They're bringing in revenue. People are coming to see them. But you're also not immune to criticism and immune to responsibility if you are not living up to your expectation. So one, I have no problem with the quotes. Two, the quotes are spot on. Like, what else are we supposed to say at this point about this offensive line? Are we supposed to pretend it's not bad? Are we supposed to pretend they're not living up to that they are living up to expectations? Because I looked at the stats. 24 carries for 25 yards rushing. That was Colorado's rushing attack. 24 yards, 25 yards on 24 carries. That is abysmal. That is embarrassing. And it is as equally embarrassing as Shador Sanders getting sacked seven more times. And I've heard all the excuse, you know, all the the other side that is anti-coach prime. I've heard him say, well, you know, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, he's just trying to pad his son's stats for the NFL. So first of all, his son's about to get killed out there. So please don't tell me that he's trying to pad his son's stats. But like coach prime was actually asked about it after the game. He's like, we tried to run the football. He's like, you understand that when you run it on first and 10 and it gets blown up three yards in the backfield and it's second and 13, second and 14, second and 15, then all of a sudden everybody knows you're passing and you're off rhythm the entire game. By the way, it worked both ways. He mentioned it. He's like, there was a couple of times that we made big plays in the backfield early in a drive and it threw them off. And so what he's saying isn't incorrect. It's the new era of college football. But I also think if you're a Colorado fan, you do have to take some positives out of this game, and it's why I'm not ready to just bail on this team and bail on the ship for the season. First off, like, like if you're sitting here saying that this is somehow proof that this team stinks or is overrated or whatever, you know, uh, let's just look at the facts, right? Who was it, David Fisdale? Take that for data. This Colorado program, listen, we, we, we get so caught up in the moment, in right now, in this second. Here's the bottom line with Colorado. You understand, not only did they go 1-11 last year, that's been over-discussed. You understand they lost to the same UCLA team at home by 28 points last year in a game that UCLA basically pulled their starters after three quarters. Well, this year, it's a 12-point game at the Rose Bowl. The defense has a good game. The offense O-line is not good enough. But, like, if you can't see the improvement, I don't know what to tell you. I would add it's not perfect. Too many penalties. The offensive line isn't good enough. But outside of the Oregon game, and by the way, Oregon's awesome. Oregon just destroyed Utah. We're going to talk about that game later. Oregon just destroyed Utah. Outside of the Oregon game, Colorado's been competitive in every game. Yes, you want to win them all. And yes, Coach Prime is mad. And yes, the team is mad. He said it after the game. He said, I'm not worried about a bowl game. He's like, I'm worried about winning every game. But you look at the results. Listen, you start whatever, four and one, four and two, I guess it was. You lose to Oregon. But listen, USC was competitive. You lose by a touchdown there. 
On top of that, um, what else? Stanford, okay, you want to win that game, but you lose by one in overtime, whatever it was, in a game where tra- – like, I'm not going to make excuses. What I am saying is if you can't see that last year they lost to USC by 40-something points and it's a touchdown game with a chance to tie the game late, you can't see that they lost by 28 to UCLA, they lose by 12 on the road, there are improvements. And I think lastly, listen, it goes back to kind of what we've said is, is you kind of know who the guys are, who you can trust, who you can't going forward in terms of what the next step is. And you do know kind of what the gaping hole is, right? I mean, every program, every team has places where they need to get better. I mean, I think if you asked an Alabama fan right now, they're happy with where they're at. They're in position to win the SEC West and maybe compete for a national championship, but they'd like to be better at quarterback. Um you know, whoever, I'm just trying to think of who else is good right now. Uh, Oklahoma's got deficiencies. Texas has deficiencies. Georgia has deficiencies. Nobody's perfect. But I thought it was interesting after the game, Coach Prime kind of addressed that O-line. He not only said, we need new O-linemen. He said, look, you think people aren't paying attention? You think people don't see the offense that we're running? You think people didn't see that offense operating at a really, really, really high level early in the season? And the, the fact that there will be playing time available on this offensive line. So listen, I, I know there's a lot of people that want to be negative and, and yell at guys like me. Why are you still talking about them? They're very interesting and they are still so much better than where they were. And I thought Saturday was a step in the right direction. Now, the big question, it goes without saying, can you carry that momentum into next week? You're playing a tough physical Oregon State team next week. They're coming off a loss. And it is worth noting the schedule does not get any easier. Um, you know, Oregon State at home, Arizona all of a sudden is playing lights out. We might have to talk about them as well. They've won back-to-back games against ranked opponents at Washington State, at Utah to close the year. So listen, the schedule doesn't get easier. I'm not going to predict wins and losses here. What I am going to say is if you could not see positive signs coming out of Saturday, I don't know what to tell you. All right, so what I'm going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we will switch gears and we'll talk about the rest of the Saturday in college football, a lot of different things to discuss. Want to hit on that Oregon-Utah game. Want to hit on Clemson. They're bad. Kentucky-Tennessee, a couple other games that are worth mentioning. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap with some other college football stuff. It is worth noting, by the way, anybody else get into the college hoops exhibition games, the charity exhibition games over the weekend, Tennessee, Michigan State uh, on Big Ten Network on Sunday, Illinois, Kansas on Big Ten Network on Sunday, Purdue playing at Arkansas an overtime thriller on Saturday. So maybe we wrap a little bit with the charity exhibitions. But what I do want to start with is the rest of the weekend in college football. And let's get to the big game, the, the the notable game on the schedule, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia and Florida, because while the game on the field wasn't that interesting, what happened after the game is absolutely worth discussing. OK, so first of all, you go back to Friday uh, and on this show, listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but I said, I think Georgia's going to win pretty convincingly. Um, Florida, I don't buy that some you know magic elixir has been discovered because they beat a bad South Carolina team. And Georgia, I know they had Brock Bowers hurt, but they're actually getting healthier later in the year. They're getting guys back from injury, and you never want to give Kirby Smart a reason to feel like his team is being doubted because you know you're going to get you're going to get the best version of Georgia if that's the case. Well, that's exactly what happens. Georgia beats Florida 43 to 20. Florida actually had a garbage time touchdown. They were trailing by 30 for most of the fourth quarter. So Georgia wins. And if that was all that happened, just that result, I really wouldn't spend that much time talking about it. But it was what happened after the game that does feel like it is worth discussing here on a Monday Aaron Torres pod. And that is, did you see Kirby Smart go after former Florida head coach Dan Mullen? So Dan Mullen now works for ESPN. He's been out at Florida for two years. And I guess on Friday, Dan Mullen like puts out, you know, picks on Twitter, like a pretty normal thing to do. And among his picks on Twitter on Friday was, I'm picking Florida to beat Georgia. I'm not really that surprised. He's the former Florida coach, probably lives in the Gainesville community still. Makes sense for him to like Florida to win that game, even if I think in his heart of hearts he knows one team is better than the other. I bring it up 
because Florida definitely did not win. And after the game, Kirby Smart was asked about Dan Mullen picking against him. Here is what Kirby Smart had to say about the whole ordeal. He said, yeah, somebody texted me before the game. It's like all these people predicting that we're not going to win today. I'm just like, golly, where is that coming from? You're supposed to be my friend talking about Dan Mullen now. He didn't like to recruit, though. So it gets him. So how about that from Kirby Smart? So Kirby Smart asked about Dan Mullen picking against the, 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 the Georgia Bulldogs. And he said, yeah, you know, good guy. Thought he was my friend. But he didn't really like to recruit. And that's why he's in that. He didn't say this part. But he's like, that's why he's in that TV booth instead of on the field coaching against me. To which I would say, one, I love when coaches really speak their mind. Two, I love Dan Mullen. But Kirby's kind of right on this one. And it's something we talked about when Dan Mullen was fired, but it is worth revisiting here. First of all, respectfully to Dan Mullen, like the numbers speak for themselves. Um, went back and looked it up just for fun. Like Kirby's math checks out, okay? So Dan Mullen was hired in the winter of 2017. 2018 recruiting class was ranked 14th nationally. Uh, and you want to give Dan Mullen a little bit of a pass on that one, taking over for a previous head coach, whatever. Well, it's three full recruiting classes the number nine recruiting class in the country, the number nine recruiting class in the country, and the number 12 recruiting class in the country in 2021. So it was obviously going backwards, and it was all at a time when Georgia was recruiting at just an insane level, and they obviously still are. Those same three years where Florida went 999 in terms of recruiting rankings, Georgia went two, number one, number four, and it is worth noting they also had the number one class in 2018, the year before Dan Mullen got there or the year that Dan Mullen got there. And then 2022, they were number three behind Texas A&M and Alabama. So those two guys are just not built like each other. Kirby Smart is dead right. And let me go back to when Dan Mullen was fired. When Dan Mullen was fired, I actually largely defended the firing for this exact reason. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you probably remember this. But when Dan Mullen was let go, a lot of people, oh, it's too soon. And if you remember, he had just won the SEC East the previous year, lost to Alabama in the SEC title game. People said it's too quick. It's too this. It's too that. And I said, the problem is the talent in the program continues to get worse and worse every year. And remember that year they lost to South Carolina. They lost to Missouri late in the year. And if you remember, I said, like, the problem is it's not just where are you right now? It's do you have the right coach to turn things around and get things back on track? And I said at the time, I was like, Dan Mullen has given us no reason to think that he is going to put in the work on the recruiting trail to get the players that you need to compete at the highest level. Because Dan Mullen's a guy, and we all watch Swamp Kings, and we know he, you know, he's a smart guy, good play caller. But you can scheme up anything you want. If you don't got the guys to execute it, it really doesn't matter. And so I didn't blame Florida for firing Dan Mullen in the, the, the winter of 2021. And I'll also say this. It's why I've tried to be patient with Billy Napier. Now, some of it, I think, is on Napier. As I said a few weeks ago after they lost to Kentucky, he's had four recruiting, four portal cycles, excuse me, to get more talent on this roster. The winter when he took over, then the spring, then last winter, then last spring. But at the same time, the cupboard was left completely bare by Dan Mullen. Um, you know, I said this, um, when, again, when, when Florida lost to Kentucky, I said 2021 Dan Mullen's last year, I remember watching Florida and being like, there is nothing special about this team. Then last year I watched Florida and I remember texting a buddy of mine who is a Gator fan. And I said to him, I said, this looks like the least talented Florida team that I have ever seen in my life. He said, yeah, no, it is. I've been a Florida fan for 25 years and it absolutely is. And I would argue this team might even be less talented based on all the guys that they lost off last year's team headlined by Anthony Richardson. So I give Billy Napier a little bit of benefit of the doubt. He is recruiting well. And I'll say this for Billy Napier. You can argue about him on game day, play calling, this, that, the other thing. At least Billy Napier kind of gets like to recruit at the highest, to, to win at the highest level, we have to recruit at the highest level. And at least he's attempting to do that. To his credit, Florida has the number three recruiting class in the class of 2024. Actually had a great recruiting week during the bye. Number one defensive lineman in the country, LJ McCray, committed to the Gators. He's a Florida kid. They also have DJ Lagway, one of the top quarterbacks in high school football, committed to the Gators as well. So we will see if Billy Napier is the guy. We will see if he won't. But it's hard for me to blame him because Dan Mullen did not leave very much in the cupboard. It's worth mentioning, by the way, a lot of the best players that he had 
were troublemakers that Billy Napier had to get out of the program once he got there. So anyway, I could go on and on, but I thought it was an amazing quote. And and bluntly, I think Kirby Smart was actually pretty accurate on it. So I thought it was at least worth discussing. A couple other notes from the Saturday in college football. So Clemson lost again. Clemson lost to NC State 24 to 17 was the final score. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. I don't know that there is anything new for me to say about Clemson. We've done the Clemson isn't good enough speech. We've done the Clemson needs to be more aggressive in the portal speech three different times this year. And you look at Clemson, they fall to four and four for the first time since 2010. And when I look at this program, I think it's a few things. One, it is all of the things that we've talked about with Dabo Sweeney. We talked about it last week. We talked about it after the Duke loss. There's not enough talent. He refuses to use the transfer portal, and that is flat out end of story on him. I said it before, about three, four years ago when the transfer portal started becoming a thing and everybody started using it. John Calipari, the basketball coach at Kentucky, was asked about it, and he said, look, I don't like the transfer portal, but at the same time, my job isn't to do what I like. It's to do what helps Kentucky basketball win games. And it's been the same with Nick Saban in Alabama. It's been the same with Ryan Day at Ohio State. It's been the same with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. You can like it. You cannot like it, but you have to adjust. And Dabo Sweeney has not done that. And so now you see the situation that he's in, a situation where he just doesn't have a very good roster. And like, this is the thing that I keep harping on that I keep coming back to. You go back to that Duke game in week one Memorial or, or Labor Day night. The, the, the moment in that game was when Tom Luganville is on the sidelines for Duke and he's or, or for ESPN on the Duke sideline. And he said, guys, the most jarring thing is there is no difference in talent level on the Duke sideline from the Clemson sideline. Duke is just as big, just as fast, just as athletic, just as quick twitch, just as whatever. That is where Dabo Sweeney has allowed Clemson to fall and he has nobody to blame but himself. This is not a good team. One, Cade Klubnik has not progressed. I don't know if he was overrated. I don't know if he was poorly coached. I don't know if Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator from TCU, is not the answer. I do not know. But this guy ain't the answer, at least not right now. It doesn't help that the O-line can't block. The best running back, Will Shipley, got hurt. And the wide receiver group is really bad. It's really bad. The defense is still pretty good, but it's simply not good enough as Clemson falls to 4-4 four and four overall. I think the only silver lining schedule sort of gets a little bit easier, but not really. You still have uh, Notre Dame at home and North Carolina at home. At least those games are at Clemson. But again, this one falls on Dabo Sweeney. You have to adjust. You have to change. And it is surreal to me to see how quickly things have fallen. You know, I saw um, I saw uh, Paul Feinbaum and I know Paul Feinbaum's, you know, polarizing, whatever. But I actually thought he brought up a good point on Dabo. He said, in all my years covering college football, I have never seen a program fall so far so fast without either major scandal or the coach just getting really old, right? Like it's one thing if it's Florida State, Bobby Bowden, and Bobby Bowden's in his 70s going on 80. It's another, Dabo is in what should be the prime of his career and he has let it erode. It has gotten bad. You lose to not even a good NC State team. I mean, that's the thing that stands out. I said it after the Miami loss. Clemson is at best a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. They're not better than Miami. They're not better than Duke. They're not better than Florida State. They lost to all of those teams coming into last week. Not better than North Carolina. They're not better than Louisville, who they have yet to play. Now you can't even say they're better than NC State. Good news is you bounce back. You you, you know you, you have an opportunity to bounce back with Notre Dame this weekend. But I, I don't know what I see that makes me feel like they will. This is rotten from the core, and I think you've got to do a good job in this offseason of building back up the depth. Continue to recruit the way that you have, because he does have a good recruiting class coming in. But more importantly, you got to backfill through the portal. you got to find bodies. you got to find guys, because you're simply not good enough. A couple other results. You know who was good enough on Saturday? How about those Oregon Ducks, man? Listen, Oregon is awesome. So Oregon goes to Utah. Utah's coming off the win at USC. And Oregon just destroyed Utah. Final score was 31 to six. I mean, this one was over by halftime. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even competitive. Um, Oregon, to its credit, just basically completely dominated this game. I think I said 31 to six. It was 35 to six. But Oregon with about 400 yards of total offense. Utah barely broke 200 yards of total offense. 
This is the game where the backup quarterback, third string quarterback catches up with them. They only had 142 yards passing, but they also couldn't run the ball. Utah is a team that is always great along the line of scrimmage. Oregon averaged five and a half yards per carry. Utah averaged about two and a half yards per carry and under a hundred yards rushing. So for Oregon, listen, the path is still ahead. We talked earlier about Oklahoma. The path is tougher for Oklahoma with the loss, but if they went out, they should feel pretty good about making the college football playoff. I think it's the same for Oregon. They're seven and one. They just beat a great Utah team on the road. Um, and the schedule is, is, is frankly, largely pretty manageable going forward. You have Cal next week at home. Then you have USC at home. We'll talk about USC in a minute. Arizona State and Oregon State to close the year. Oregon State's still good even after losing to Arizona. USC is still good. But at the end of the day, those are games you will be heavily favored in. They should be 12-1 and going into the Pac-12 championship. 11-1 and going into the Pac-12 championship game. They should be going into the Pac-12 championship game with one loss, very likely playing Washington. And if you win that game, you have a chance to make the college football playoff. So you Oregon, great win. Excited to see where the playoff committee has them on, on Tuesday. My guess is at number six. Again, my prediction, if you missed it earlier in the show, if I had to venture a guess, I would say Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan, probably Florida State three, Michigan four, Washington five, and Oregon six. But credit to Oregon. A couple other results. One, USC beats Cal 50 to 49. I'm going to do something I don't, I wouldn't normally do, and, and pretty counter to what everybody says. Everybody is, again, crushing USC. They could have lost. They gave up 49 points. They're terrible. They're this. They're that. Fire Alex Grinch, whatever. And what I would say, say to that is that you should absolutely – Alex Grinch is not the answer at defensive coordinator. The defense stinks. All the stuff we talked about last week. The pursuit angles were terrible. The tackling is terrible. If you run the ball right at USC, it feels like you can get six or seven yards just by pushing their defensive front forward. But I also want to give USC a little bit of credit. Not because they gave up 49 points. Not because Alex Grinch is right at defensive coordinator. He's not. But I thought that was a game where they could have quit and given up. And they actually did the opposite. I thought they showed some heart and some toughness that I didn't know they had. Okay. So keep in mind, USC in this game trailed 28 to 17 at half. Okay. They're down by nine and a half to the worst team left on their schedule. And it looked like they quit. It looked like they had nothing left. There was a weird thing um, before the half where the clock expired. They thought they had one second left to kick a field goal. The refs said they didn't. During halftime, the refs determined they have a second left. So they're able to kick a field goal to open the second half. They miss it. So you're down by nine. You miss a field goal to start the second half. You score two touchdowns, miss two two-point conversions. And again, there was just everything working against them. So for them to battle back, and when 50 to 49, I thought showed a lot of heart. Five scoring drives in the second half. Um, again, a couple two-point conversions that you had to convert. Uh, a couple uh, f- uh, extra points after you missed extra points that you made. I actually give them credit. And what I would add on USC, they have Washington coming to the Coliseum this week. Washington is not right right now. Washington has not looked good since that Oregon game. Easily could have lost to Arizona State. Easily could have lost at Stanford. I'm picking USC to upset Washington. We'll wait till Friday show. We'll get into it, but I'm picking USC to upset Washington. Uh, I'm doing it, baby. I'm doing it really quickly. uh, One last result that I want to talk about. Maybe we do the charity exhibitions. Maybe we don't. There is one final result though. And I do want to talk about the Kentucky Tennessee game as Tennessee goes to Kentucky, a slight road favorite, and they beat the Kentucky Wildcats final score 33 to 27. Uh, first off, you know, from the Kentucky fans perspective, I understand you're frustrated. I, I saw the whole, the refs, this, the refs, and the refs didn't lose you this game. Just like the refs did not lose Tennessee, the game against Alabama a week ago. Same time. I get the frustration from Kentucky fans with the best coach that you have had in almost certainly your lifetime. This is an unbelievable stat. Kentucky now two and nine against Tennessee under Mark Stoops. And this is at a time when Tennessee was not good for most of this run. Tennessee always seems to find a way to win these games. It really doesn't matter what or how or what the circumstances are. But at the same time, I also, I want to take a moment and give credit to Tennessee, okay? Because one thing that I do think happens 
is we get so caught up in the playoff picture and what does it mean for Georgia and Michigan and the national championship hunt? I talk about this every year. I think too often in this era of college football, we do not appreciate the stories that don't involve the college football playoff. And I think Tennessee is one of them because you look at Tennessee coming into the year. Last year was a dream season that obviously ended in nightmare at South Carolina. Now last week, With the South Carolina-Michigan rumors, maybe there was some more going on there that we don't know about, which I talked about on YouTube. You should check that out, by the way. But at the same time, when you look at that that Tennessee season, incredible. Everything breaks right really largely up until that night. Hennon Hooker is better than even the highest person, you know, people that were higher on him than anybody could have imagined. Jalen Hyatt turns into a Bolitnikov-type wide receiver. You get Alabama at home. You get Florida at home. There's a lot of things that break your way. And so there were a lot of people in this offseason, myself absolutely included, that said, is Josh Heupel that good? Is Tennessee that good? Or did a lot of things just break their way in 2022? Well, as it turns out, no, because Tennessee is now 6-2. and two. Their only two losses, one was at Alabama where they had the lead in the half. I, I would say they basically played one bad half of football at Florida, which ultimately cost them the game. But they now have beaten Texas A&M. They won at Kentucky. And overall, let me just give credit to Josh Heupel. And we've talked about this, but I want to do the official Josh Heupel rant before we get out of here on on this Monday. Let's give this man credit for who he is as a coach. Because, and I've said this before, but so many coaches, they're so tied into, this is my system. This is what I do. This is how I play. This is what I'm about. And Josh Heupel in one offseason has essentially changed everything that Tennessee is about. Last year with Hendon Hooker, they were an elite pass offense just a fantastic pass offense one of the best in college football it probably statistically might have ended up as the best if Hendon Hooker didn't get hurt but it was an offense last year that finished fifth in college football 326 passing yards per game um, certainly the most in the SEC and then that offense obviously put up uh, 48 points per game the most in college football I bring it up because you lose Hendon Hooker And I think there's an immediate assumption, well, Joe Milton has to be Hendon Hooker or this team isn't going to succeed. Now, the credit of Joe Milton, he actually played very well at Kentucky on Saturday night, 18 of 21 passing, 228 yards, one touchdown. But at the same time, with Joe, like Joe Milton isn't Hendon Hooker, okay? And so you see this everywhere. When Alabama can transition from Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young, they don't miss a beat. Then Bryce Young, there's not the next Bryce Young, and all of a sudden it took them a while to figure things out. And so with Tennessee, I give Josh Heupel so much credit because a year ago it was pass, 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 tempo, 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 tempo. And this year they have completely changed who they are. They are now a line of scrimmage team. They are now a run first team. And they're a team that against a Kentucky run defense, which came into Saturday ranked in the top 15 nationally, they punked Kentucky at the line of scrimmage. Tennessee finished that game with 253 yards rushing, five and a half yards per carry. But here's the crazy part, 47 rush attempts. They were just like 47 rushes. We're handing the ball off. We're not going to let Joe Milton beat us. Joe Milton was great, so I'm not discrediting Joe Milton. But it was clear like it has been every game. We're going to run the ball. We're going to be super effective. And so for one offseason, for Josh Heupel to go from a guy that has the nation's or, or the SEC's top passing attack with running as an as an important part, but not the necessary part, to a team that is now a line of scrimmage football team, elite run game, I think that just deserves credit. And so again, we'll see what happens with the rest of Tennessee's schedule. It does not get easier, in case you do not know. Uh, they still have two really big games on the schedule, not including the UConn Huskies coming to Neyland Stadium this weekend. They have Missouri on the road two weeks from now, and then Georgia at home on uh, October or uh, November 16th, excuse me. So you got a lot of big games still ahead. Again, not including the UConn Huskies. But I bring it up because weirdly, Tennessee is not actually eliminated from the SEC East Championship. Now they'd have to beat Missouri, and they'd have to beat Georgia, and then Georgia would have to pick up another loss along the way. I think the way the math works out is if, if Tennessee beats Missouri, and Georgia loses to either Missouri or Ole Miss, we would essentially have a de facto winner takes the SEC East game in Knoxville on October or November 16th. 
not going to go that far just yet. But listen, I, I just think Josh Heupel deserves a ton of credit. So many guys are stuck with their scheme and their system, and this is what I do, and this is what I'm about, and this is who I am. Not enough guys get enough credit. Not enough guys are just dudes that just play to the strengths and the weaknesses of their players. And so credit to Josh Heupel. Don't think, I, I think that's it for today's Aerotores pod. That last segment went long enough. I was going to talk a little bit about the charity basketball exhibitions. Really fun couple days. Arkansas beat Purdue in overtime, by the way. Tennessee beat Michigan State at Michigan State. So, and Kansas obviously played Illinois at Illinois. I don't think we're going to break them down. Uh, I don't want to do the overreactions. Um, I do know the Big Ten losing their two best teams, losing to SEC teams, maybe plays into the narrative that maybe the Big Ten isn't as good in basketball again as usual, but we're not going to go there, not today. Uh, maybe we talk a little hoops on Wednesday's show because we are very close to the season. Uh, and I did mention, by the way, Zach Kroll and I, uh, College Hoops Daily Podcast, make sure you're downloading those. We've done previews of the SEC, Big East, and ACC with more to come. But with that said, I do think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, what a great weekend of college football. And here's the great part. The best is yet to come because we got a lot of big games this coming weekend. Clemson, Notre Dame, as I just said, Alabama, LSU, uh, Washington, USC. The slate is going to be bonkers on Saturday. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, listen on YouTube. YouTube channel's closing in on 28,000 subscribers. Thank you all for your support there. Do not subscribe. Please make sure to do so. Also, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. By the way, I should mention, if you want to do your boy a favor, go ahead, leave a rating, a five-star rating and a review on uh on pod on apple Podcasts, had a couple angry michigan fans go in there leave one star reviews so you know i need i need a couple good ones to balance it out but i do appreciate everybody's support i am going to get out of here thank you for everybody for your support uh and i will be back on wednesday shout out to torn Crane. shout out to rachel who hates my voice shout out to jj reddick you bet that unblock me bro i will be back on wednesday new episode aaron Tors pop